Why do we like the music we like? That's the question every episode of Song Appeal tries to answer, but there's a paradox in those answers. We like our songs to have something new. The episode about Bohemian Rhapsody brought up a study where people saw a lot of ordinary pictures and an occasional oddball picture. Generally, those people's pleasure centers lit up and they got a dopamine release when they saw the new picture. Similarly, when people listen to songs with a lot of novelty, like Bohemian Rhapsody, their pleasure centers light up with dopamine. Neurologically, we like to experience things that are new. But on the other side of the spectrum, we like familiar songs. The episode about Stay by Zed and Alessia Cara brought up a few studies about the mere exposure effect, which says that things that are more familiar are more comfortable and more enjoyable. And when songs do things to make themselves familiar, like repeating melodies, those songs can take advantage of the mere exposure effect to become more comfortable and more enjoyable. Now you might think, which is more important? Should a song try to be familiar or novel? But my mom used to say, this is an and world. So today, let's ask a different question. How can a song be familiar and novel at the same time? Welcome to Song Appeal, where we dive into your favorite songs to answer the question, why do we like the music we like? I'm your host, Hunter Ferris, and over the month of December, we're doing a mini-series where we take a look at why we like five Christmas songs, four on the podcast and one on Patreon. So let's kick off this mini-series by taking a look at one reason why we like Santa Claus is Coming to Town. This episode will focus on the traditional version of the song from 1934. Sadly, the ideas in this episode won't apply to the Bruce Springsteen version. You can find the full transcript for this episode, references, and a link to hear the song at songappealofficial.com Santa. You can also help support this show on Patreon at patreon.com songappeal. If you like what you're hearing on Song Appeal, you'll definitely like Soundfly's online music course, Unlocking the Emotional Power of Chords. You'll get to learn what different chords do and how to put those chords in a progression that makes the listener feel how you want them to feel, so your songs can have as emotional of an impact as possible. And best of all, you'll get one-to-one mentorship from a professional musician for six weeks as part of the course. I know from personal experience that one-to-one training is so much more useful than anything you could learn from a podcast. And when you work with one of Soundfly's coaches, you'll get a curriculum built around your needs, your goals, and your musical projects so you can really understand and use the emotional power of chords in your songs. Visit soundfly.com and use the promo code SONGAPPEAL10 at check out the words song appeal are in all caps to get 10% off of any soundfly course I'd like to let you in on how I decide which songs to talk about I don't usually start with a song I usually start with a topic why we remember certain words, why we like sad music, how four-bar phrases affect us, and then I look for a song that does that idea. But not just any song. Because I never want to think, but I could have talked about this other song that does the same thing better. And I never want to think, but the song I'm talking about does something else that's just so much more interesting. So I try to find the perfect marriage of topic and song. That's why the episode about anaphora and epistrophe focused on how those tools are used in All the Pretty Girls by Kenny Chesney. Because 60% of that song is affected by those two tools. That's why the episode that talked about the connection between minor thirds and sadness focused on how minor thirds are used to increase the sadness in Life and Death from Lost 
because 70% of the main melody is made up of minor thirds. And that's why I waited until an episode about Santa Claus is coming to town to talk about my favorite piece of music theory, the sequence. I wanted to do an episode about sequences months ago, but I waited until I could talk about the song that used sequences best, and 89% of Santa Claus is Coming to Town is made up of sequences. How does that help us like Santa Claus is Coming to Town? Once you know what a sequence is, you'll learn that sequences bring familiarity and novelty at the same time, so that the song gets the benefits of both. Now that I've said the word sequence five times, you're probably wondering, what's a sequence? The Oxford Companion to Music defines a sequence as the more or less exact repetition of a melody, higher or lower. And Santa Claus is Coming to Town uses three different kinds of sequences, diatonic, modified, and real. This song starts with my favorite kind of sequence, a diatonic sequence. Diatonic is just a fancy word for staying in the same key, and the first four lines of Santa Claus is Coming to Town are defined by a diatonic sequence, a sequence where everything stays in the same key. Here's the big picture. 5, 3, 4, 5, 5, 5, 6, 7, 8, 8, 5, 3, 4, 5, 5, 5, 6, 5, 4, 4. Okay, let's dive into it. Each of the first four lines starts with note 5, then goes into a standard diatonic sequence. The first line introduces us to the original idea, 3, 4, 5, 5. The next line does the same idea three notes higher. Note 3 becomes note 6, note 4 becomes note 7, note 5 becomes note 8, so 3, 4, 5, 5 becomes 6, 7, 8, 8. Then we get the original idea again, 3, 4, 5, 5. Then it gives us something called an inverted sequence, which is the same idea, but played upside down. Every time it would go up, it goes down. So instead of having 3, 4, 5, 5, we have 6, 5, 4, 4. With this many diatonic sequences, listening to this song can feel a little like watching Marvel movies. You generally know what you're getting, and there's a twist on it each time. These diatonic sequences are reliable, they're safe, and they're fun. Of course, that's not the only kind of sequence. The next four lines are defined by a modified sequence, which is exactly what it sounds like. A series of notes that are played higher or lower, but something's changed. You can hear an example in O Come All Ye Faithful, when it plays 1, 1, 7, 1, 2, 1, 5, and then moves up two notes. But if it just moved up two notes, we'd get 3, 3, 2, 3, 4, 3, 7? And that 7 doesn't really fit. So instead of moving that last note up two notes, the song moves it up four notes, so that we get the 3, 3, 2, 3, 4, 3, 2 line that we're so used to. In Santa Claus is Coming to Town, the basic idea is starting on a note and going two notes up, whether that's going from 3 to 5, 1 to 3, 2 to 4, or 7 to 2? Well, that doesn't sound right. The sequence wants to end on note 2, but the song wants to resolve. So the sequence sacrifices its note 2 so that the song can end on note 1, which sounds so much more resolving. A modified sequence acts a little like a mother sacrificing its own needs, dropping what it's doing, even sacrificing a little of its identity to support something else's needs. And Santa Claus is Coming to Town is a great example of a song that modifies a sequence to fit its needs. Now, in the diatonic sequence and the modified sequence, the distance between the notes keeps changing. In diatonic sequences, staying in the key is important enough that it'll stretch and squish the distance between some notes. For example, when that diatonic sequence changed from 3, 4, 5, 5 to 6, 7, 8, 8, it changed from going up one half step and then two half steps to going up two half steps and then one half step. But what happens if the distance between the notes stays exactly the same? 
to the point that the song is willing to go out of the key just to keep the sequence. That's when we get a real sequence. Real sequences are defined by how many half-steps are between each note, and real sequences are absolutely determined to never change the distance between the notes. So when we talk about real sequences, let's forget about which notes are being sung and focus on how far apart those notes are in terms of half-steps. In Santa Claus's Coming to Town, the original idea of the real sequence goes like this. Start in a note, go up two half-steps, down two, down one, up one, down three. We get the original idea again, then we get the same idea a whole step higher. Wait, was that a sharp one? Yes, it was. You see, a real sequence isn't interested in sacrificing its needs for the sake of the song. When a real sequence walks into a song, it says, I am the most important thing. A real sequence is willing to do literally anything to stay a real sequence. It'll leave the key, it'll avoid resolution, it might even change the entire key of the song around it just to stay a real sequence. Real sequences are the divas of the music theory world. They demand that anything and everything should be ready to change to fit what they do, but what they do sounds great. And modified sequences sound great because they can be a sequence and serve the needs of the song at the same time. And diatonic sequences sound great because they can stay in the key without losing anything of what a sequence is. Every time I've heard any kind of sequence in a song, it's sounded great. And when I hear something that sounds good in so many situations, I have to wonder, why does it sound good? One reason is because sequences lie at the intersection of familiarity and novelty. Half the point of a sequence is to give us the same phrase until it becomes familiar. That way the mere exposure effects can kick in so the song feels more comfortable, more safe, and more enjoyable. Why does that work? Because our brains get to stop working quite so hard to understand this song once the song becomes familiar. Which makes our brains say, ah, this is so much easier. I like this. But a sequence isn't just doing the same thing over and over in the same way. It's not the melodic version of Groundhog Day. It's doing the same thing differently so that it can be novel too. That's partly because each time a sequence goes higher or lower, it changes which notes it's playing on a scale. Notes 3, 4, 5, 5 become notes 6, 7, 8, 8. You might not think that really matters, after all if it's the same tune, who cares where it's played on a scale? But different notes have different functions. Moving from note 3 to note 5 feels very different than moving from note 2 to note 4. And the first time we hear that real sequence, it focused on note 1, the most stable and resolved note of the scale. And when the tune strayed from note 1, it would just go next door and then come right back home to note 1. But when the idea moves higher, it focuses on note 2, which definitely isn't stable, definitely isn't resolved, it feels like it wants to go somewhere. This song makes sure that we feel how the sequences change. Lastly, this song gives us a new kind of novelty with each new sequence. To a diatonic sequence, staying in the key is important enough that it'll stretch and squish the distances between some notes. The modified sequence is modified, and even the real sequence has some novelty in it because it changes how many times it plays the last note. The first time, the last note is played twice. The second time, it's played once. And the third time, it's played three times. So even when it's a real sequence, it's still presenting its own form of novelty. And that amount of novelty gives us a dopamine release. The pleasure centers of our brains light up from the novelty just as much as the familiarity, and in this song, we get both at once. Now, a little while ago, 
I showed a student how sequences play into a few songs that he likes, and he looked crestfallen. He didn't like that those songs were just theory. And he has a good point. Sequences are all about patterns, and when theory starts focusing on patterns, it's easy to think that theory makes a song formulaic, predictable, and boring. And theory can feel formulaic when it's used for its own sake, without reason and without feeling. But when it's done well, even the most math-based, pattern-based forms of theory can become an art in itself. Corey Arnold, a music theorist and elephant cartoonist from the YouTube channel 12tone, once said, I'm here to do math to sounds until art happens. Music theory isn't a box of tricks. It's a box of tools. And Santa Claus is Coming to Town is a song that knows how to use its tools really well. Maybe one reason people still like this song 80 years later is because of its sequences. Those sequences create a familiar pattern and repeat that familiar pattern in new ways. And as listeners, the fusion of familiarity and novelty is at the top of our subconscious Christmas lists. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, check out songappealofficial.com for more episodes. If you have a song you'd like to request, you can contact me over Twitter at songappeal or by visiting facebook.com slash songappealofficial. You can also help support this show on Patreon at patreon.com slash songappeal. Again, thanks so much for listening. I'll talk with you soon. In the meantime, have a great day and enjoy your music.